This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. All right, everybody, buckle up because we are talking about toddlers and sleep because Milo is now four. Hey, this is my podcast, and so I tend to talk about things with experts that I want to talk about because I'm having problems in my own life, and that's okay because I think a lot of you are having the same problems. So before, it was always like baby sleep, baby sleep, and I find online everything about sleep is with regard to babies and not older kids. Like Milo is four. He can talk. He can chase us out of the room. He can throw toys at his door. All those fun things. So I was like, somebody help me with bedtime battles because it is completely different when children are older. So Amanda has been on the podcast before. We talked about baby sleep and sleep training and all that kind of stuff. And then we also did a hot topic episode all about transitioning your kid from crib to bed because I was probably transitioning Milo from crib to bed. And again, it's my podcast and yeah, I <laughs> I use it to my advantage. Let's say that. This is a super honest, candid, just relatable AF episode. I tell Amanda all about our epic sleep battles that we had recently that were absolutely emotionally exhausting. So many of you may relate to that. And again, it's something that I don't think people talk about because I don't think people want to be like, you know, my child is basically possessed by demons at night sometimes, and they're a completely different child having brutal meltdowns, like throwing their toys. Milo You'll hear it in this episode, but literally was taking his monitor and slamming it against the door, like the camera of his monitor. So, oh my God. Anyways, we talk a lot about boundaries and how to hold boundaries with your toddlers. And, you know, it's uh, it's all stuff that we know, but it's just... You need to lay it out every once in a while and just be like, this is what's happening. This is what we need to do. It's going to be difficult for a few days, but we must do it. Unless you want to be in your kid's room till 10 p.m. every night or having to lay down with them and sleep, which if that's fine for you, that's fine. Like no judgment. I don't want to do that. I want to go downstairs and watch Formula One. So anywho, we also go off on a rant at the beginning about public speaking and anxiety because Amanda was on my panel when I was at MomCon and had that like raging anxiety attack and almost left. She was on my panel and she was like my little like safety blanket. So who is Amanda Jusen? She is the mother of two young girls and she is like the master of all masters of sleep consultants. She is also extremely like relatable and honest and just like no BS. It's like, it's not like, you know, the parenting accounts that I talk about sometimes that are like, act like everything should be fine and like your children shouldn't misbehave. And if you're doing the proper things, then they won't be like having meltdowns and like all that stuff. Like, I don't like that vibe. And she is the complete opposite of that vibe. She is like, just a nice person to talk to and have like a one-on-one mom-to-mom, this is hard shit conversation. So without further ado, enjoy this episode. I'm sure many of you have been waiting for it because I was talking about it on my stories. So without further ado, guys, please welcome Amanda Jusen to the Mom Room Podcast for the third time. So my first question is just like, how are you? Oh, I'm great. How are you? I'm so good. The last time I saw you, just so people know, was at the MomCon event. And Amanda, if everybody remembers back to that day, I had like raging anxiety. I almost left like without even seeing anyone. I literally, I was totally fine. Totally fine. Thought nothing of it. Oh, this is going to be exciting. On my drive there, and I had a long drive. It was like an hour drive all of a sudden and like I can picture myself in the moment I'm driving in my car like past farms and like fields and stuff listening to Shawn Mendes as I do and like 
instant dread came over me. I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? What am I going to do? Like panic, panic, panic. And then I got there, I walked into the building and then I just like grabbed my purse and left. Stood in the parking lot, called my husband. I'm like, I'm gonna leave. Like I can't do this. And he was like, oh my God, like it's okay. Like, Anyways, so you were on my panel, thank God, because you were like a familiar face, like so comforting. And I was like, oh my God, Amanda's here to take care of me. (laughs) I remember you saying this and me just being so shocked about that. And it just goes to show you and remind you, because I do know this, that it doesn't actually matter like who you are or your social media platform. Like I think I'm actually way more awkward in real life than people expect me to be because I'm like, oh, hi. Uh. <laughs> and like, there's also, I think, when I'm, when I'm kind of talking on social media to clients, I'm kind of talking as if I'm very familiar with you and I know you. And because I'm looking at my own face and I know me quite well. And then so it's like very easy. But then when I don't know someone, I'm not that immediately like familiar. So I feel like I'm a huge disappointment when people do eventually meet me. So I wondered if maybe that thought was in your head, but I was, I was shocked when you were like, I'm so nervous. I was like, oh my God, but you're so funny on TikTok, which doesn't make any sense. Great mental health counseling there. And you're like, thank you. And I was like, look, if you barf, I'll pretend to barf too. Or I think I said something like that. I know. No, it's just like, it's been like a longstanding anxiety of mine is like public speaking. So of course, when people reached out about mom fest and they're like, oh, you want to like sit on a panel and speak? I'm like, sure. I think it's so funny that because you have such a massive following. I will get over this. You're like, I'm afraid of public speaking. I know. And I I talk for a living on a microphone. (laughs) I know. It's so messed up. I know. I know. I can relate to your, like the meeting people in person. And I remember I was at this event. Oh, it was put on by Mom Halo and it was the camping event. And I'm just like sitting there with Chloe. I know her. And so I'm like, oh, great. She's here. Like we can hang out. And we're just like having lunch. And then this girl's like, oh, my God. I'm obsessed with your podcast. Like, and she was like sitting near us and I'm like, oh, like, thanks, you know? And she's like, oh my God, like, you're so different. Like, you're so, like, (laughs) just because I'm sitting there eating my lunch, I'm like, I don't, like, do you want me to get up and perform? Like, I don't know. (laughs) I can do a TikTok dance real quick. Yeah, Yeah, it was funny. But yeah, I don't know. It's just like the public speaking, like having a conversation with someone Being like thrown into a social setting, zero issue. Like I will socialize until the cows come home, like no issue, zero anxiety. Public speaking where it's like, okay, now it's your turn to speak and people are going to listen. I'm like, (gasps) like panic. I also feel like, and I have like, I think less than a quarter of your following, but I feel like if if someone just doesn't know what I do or doesn't follow me on social media, I'm like a star. I'm like, yeah, like I can schmooze. I can be like, whatever. I always think about this all the time. But do you remember there's an episode of Full House? I think you're younger than me. I'm going to be 40 in February. How old oh, are I'm you? 30. I'll be 38 in March. Okay. Okay. So... There's an episode of Full House where Joey is on a date and the date keeps telling everybody, like she's like introducing him to everyone, like he's so funny and then everyone's like, be funny. And then he's like, he's like the least funny he's ever been. Often like those things kind of come into my mind at times like that when I meet someone and if they're like, hey, I follow you on social media, like I'm so grateful, but I'm like, the expectations are so high right now. They're so high. And then I'm like, hi. Yeah, thank you so much for following me on social media. It's like, I'm such a disappointment in every way because I'm in my head about like, do you want me to perform for you? Do you want me to tell, tell you baby sleep tip? Those are things I'm not going to do. So, because I would never give someone advice in real life just hanging out ever, ever, ever. You could be, I actually had a, I have a story of like when I first started my business and someone found out what I did and then she sat in a room with me and she just talked about her baby sleep problems kind of in general and I would just like it real life Amanda would just be like 
that sucks. I'm so sorry. But like, I just kind of left it. I didn't say anything. And then my friend after was like, hey, like, I think she was kind of like looking for like, and I was like, I would never do that though. Who am I to say that? She's going to hate me. And what if she didn't want that advice? And I was like, Oh, listen this is to my me. Down. Yeah. Like I would hate that. So yeah, I don't know. It's like I get really in my head. I get very like bizarre. I was it. like that, like with regard to grad school. Oh my god! As soon as somebody was like, "Oh, like you're doing your PhD? What's it in?" Like, "Oh, psychology." Oh my god! Like, "What's your research on?" And I'm like, "Oh my god!" Panic, panic. Like, I remember coming back into Canada from somewhere and the customs agent was like, oh, you go to University of Ottawa? Like, what are you studying? And then they were like interested and asking me about my dissertation. And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) (sighs) like customs is already like anxiety producing. So don't ask about my research. (laughs) Were they legitimately like asking you about your research while you're going through a customs line? Yeah, because I think my area was eating disorders. And so people are instantly like, oh my God, like, oh, like my friend's daughter has this, like, nah, nah, nah. and I'm like, oh no, like, stop. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I think this is why, what did they say? Like psychologists and lawyers and maybe us should not tell people what we do. Because immediately everyone goes, oh, you help baby sleep? Fix my baby. Or, or they go like, we do this thing. I'm so sorry. I'm like, I don't care <laughs> at all. You do what you need to do. Oh, so true. Okay. So are you going to mom fest this year? I don't think so. Oh, I don't okay. think so. I know. I it, Honestly, this fall has just been unrelenting. It, unrelenting. I don't have a single weekend free in my life until probably close to December. Oh my God. Like family stuff or work stuff? Everything. There's like a backlog of weddings in my family. There's work stuff. Everyone turned 40 in my life in the last two years. So have to go on everyone's trip. I have to. It's just, it's one thing after another. I'm not mad about it. I love it, but it, I do not have anything free in my life for a long time. And like my own business for me, I'm booked out until mid November with clients. It's wild. So I wanted to mention, before we get into bedtime battles, epic bedtime battles, I wanted to let people know that this is your third time being on the podcast. I don't think anyone else has been on three times. No way. Oh, wait. Has Chaz been on three times? Chaz maybe has. Okay. I don't know. I'll have to confirm. But three times, like three Pete. Yay. (laughs) So we did an episode on... Way at the beginning of the podcast, it was episode 16, and it was about more so like baby sleep, sleep training, you know, the controversy, like why people, you know, how people are online with regard to sleep training. Oh my God. And can I just pause you for a second? Because I love everything. Like you are just, I feel like my job is what you do sometimes to like champion sleep training and then I get tired and then you put out like a TikTok or a reel and I'm like, yeah, yeah, what she said. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. The best is that like I have become this like, you know, spokesperson for sleep training and we didn't even really sleep train until Milo was 11 (laughs) months old. (laughs) But I will say we didn't because we didn't have to. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't make you a fraud. It just means like that's when your time came. Yeah, 100%. And then after that, we did a Hot Topic episode, which is right after episode 71. And that was all about transitioning your kid from a crib into a bed. So this is the perfect time now to discuss older, like sleep, but with older kids. Because I feel like everything is so focused on babies sleeping And now all of a sudden Milo's four and I'm like, Jesus Christ, like what is going on? He must have known that we were doing this episode today because he has been like an angel from above the last week to go to bed. But before that, for a few weeks, we were having like major bedtime battles. And it's really strange. And I don't know if it's common for kids that are about his age to be up and down with sleep. It's like for weeks, he'll be an angel. 
Like, good night, mommy. I love you. It's time for me to go to bed now. Like, I'm putting my covers on. Like, ridiculous. I'm like leaving his room like, are you okay? (laughs) And then he'll go for like one, two, three weeks of just being a nightmare. Is that common? Yeah. I mean, it's super common. So then when I think about that, like I would say a few, even a week or two is pretty common because children, like I think for better, for worse, when, when we have babies, we know that there's going to be periods of development. We know that they are going to grow, that they're crawling and that they're walking. And when those things come together with sleep and brain development all at the same time, we generally have crappy sleep and it's temporary. And I think that there is a general acceptance among that uh, uh, for that when you have a baby. However, when you have a toddler, we forget that they actually have similar rates of development and for much more complex tasks and skills, like fine motor skills, language development, even the concept of being autonomous from their parent. We're talking about really complex thoughts. Children are also experiencing a wide range of emotions for the first time that can be overwhelming for them. Overwhelming sadness, excitement, overstimulation. Milo just started school, right? So that's a huge one. And I remember when both of my girls started school, we had really big sleep disruptions. The way it manifested with my, well, that we've talked about this on your podcast, I'm pretty sure, but Winnie had sleep apnea, and that's actually how we knew for sure is that she went to school, and it was outrageous. Like, she became kind of a rabid animal at 4, 4 p.m. on, and I'm not even exaggerating. And so that showed us, like, oh, this girl's really, really tired. Something's up. And then we started investigating, and we had everything that we needed to do be done. With my second, she developed night terrors. And so this is actually... We didn't plan on talking about this, but this is probably a good opportunity to discuss night terrors because often parents will mislabel a night waking as a night terror because their child is crying. But a night terror typically happens in the first half of sleep, generally one to three hours after falling asleep. It's in a really deep part of your child's sleep, and they are not in the room with you. They are, but they don't know that you're there. Your presence really doesn't matter because they're dreaming. And so that's a pretty big sign of some overtiredness and generally happens after these big transitions. And when we see night terrors, we generally see them three plus, like older kids. We're not talking babies. So when we have these big, big, big transitions, life transitions, school, we see just general, I want to say up until like five, we do see those developments. So while that is true, the other half, and I just had this conversation, this is what I was doing before I jumped on a call with you. The other half of this is that your child is not a baby anymore. And I'm not speaking directly to you. This is not me giving you advice. <laughs> I would never. I'm like, what? My <laughs> not a baby? <laughs> what? Well, actually, maybe you do need to hear this. One. I have to go. I know, I know, I know, I'm sorry. But what we think of is like, well, I sleep trained, now it's over. But sleep becomes a boundary pushing area. Sleep is the same as whether or not your child gets into a car seat, whether or not they eat food, whether or not they put on their shoes, whether or not they want to wear... And I, I'm sorry, these are very triggering things I'm saying, but this is this is the same thing. And so what I say to parents is your child is entitled to all of their thoughts and feelings and reactions that they want. What you have to control is the only thing that you can control is the boundary. So if your child said, I don't want to sit in my car seat anymore, I refuse, you wouldn't unlatch the car seat and be like, you know what? I'm sorry, you're right. This is, of course not, right? This is a health and safety issue. So we persist. We allow those big feelings and we say, look, I'm sorry you feel this way. This is the safest thing for you. I have no trouble holding the same boundary for sleep that I would for a car seat for all of those reasons. So Milo, in his particular situation, I think that parents in general, when we get to this point where it's like, hey, you know how to sleep, why aren't you doing it? 
well, why aren't they putting on their shoes? Why aren't they doing... It's it's parenting now. It's not sleep. So we have to move into these this other thought about what are my non-negotiables? And for many parents, that's going to look different. It's not going to be... I don't believe that everyone needs to parent the same. There's lots of different ways to parent. True disclaimer, I really believe that. People often come to me when they want those independent sleep skills, right? So what I say is often in the vein of like holding on to your independent sleep. So, and I think that's a goal for you, right? I just want to say something that I think happens with us and probably with lots of people who are listening is that, like I was saying, for weeks, he'll be an angel from above. And then all of a sudden, something switches. But I think what happens during those few weeks where he's awesome, then when things start to kind of turn, we're like, oh, he's been doing so well. So now we will kind of start breaking some of those boundaries that we had previously set. So for example, stop it it right now. I'm just so amazed that you admitted this. (laughs) This is what I I was like, how do I say this in a really nice way? And you're like, it's me. We're breaking boundaries. Yes, yes, it's me. (laughs) Like we, like we fucked up. Like, because what would happen is like, oh, okay. He's having a hard time this one night. So my husband, or like he gets up in the middle of the night, my husband, and like, God bless, he sleeps with the monitor. He's incredible. And I understand why he does it, but we had to have this conversation about like, this is now why when he gets up at four in the morning, he's expecting to go into your bed. Because a few times when it was out of the blue, when he woke up, you just wanted to quickly get back to sleep. So you brought him to your room or you laid down with him in his bed or whatever it was. And so it's slowly like all these little things happen like over the course of like a week or two. And all of a sudden, Milo expects all these things, our routine, our boundaries are completely messed up. Like there's no clear boundary anymore. And so we had to be like, okay, back to the drawing board, like this is how we handle bedtime and this is how we handle when he is fighting bedtime and like get back to where we were because it like slowly starts to change into something else because they're being good. So bless you for this admission because it always, when I'm dealing with my clients and they come to me with these questions, I have to sort of gently say, well, what areas are boundaries kind of loose, right? And we could probably see, well, you know, they asked me to sit with them for like five minutes. And like, then I do and then he falls asleep. It's not a big deal. And I'm like, listen, I wouldn't care if you sat with your kid for five minutes and then he slept for whatever many hours and then you woke up in the day and that was fine. Why would I care and why would we need to change anything? But the fact of the matter is, your children are so brilliant at learning behaviors and learning new things. And by the way, way more persistent than you and have way much, so much more stamina than you and I like put together because we're fucking old. And, and especially we're tired. at bedtime, like oh my especially God. at bedtime, I will hold a boundary like to the end of time when it's during the day and I have energy oh, yeah. and I don't just want to fucking go sit down and watch Formula One. Okay. No, I, when I, it's you're bedtime, making me want to like, watch Formula One, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> you have to start. You have to. Is it better or worse than Housewives? It's totally different and it's kind of just like mind-blowing to be thrown into this world that I knew nothing about that is so massive. Like the following, the money involved, like the talent, the it's just mind-blowing. But anyways, when it's bedtime, you're exhausted, you are now like you've been waiting for this moment for them to like go to bed so now I can go sit downstairs and watch Below Deck with my husband or whatever then it's not happening and they're putting up a fight and you're like, oh my God, oh my God. And I can see where people just give in because you're like, I just want you to go to bed. And sometimes it's harder to hold the boundary, like much harder. And what I had to realize is that it sucks to hold a boundary, especially like, and I'll tell you about like those couple weeks where it was epic 
meltdowns where like I ended up crying. Like now my husband's taking care of two crying people, like, <laughs> like brutal, but you need to just like suck it up, hold the boundary because eventually it will get better. But bedtime is such a difficult time for parents because you have these expectations around bedtime and like you having now quiet time, like you're not at work, you're like, this is your relaxed time. And so it's frustrating when it doesn't go to plan and it ends up being actual chaos. It's also a biological time where we're all at a low. It's why we tend to put children to bed at around that seven o'clock, eight o'clock time, because we're, we could all probably fall asleep. Half of the parents that hire me f- fall asleep with their kids at that time. And so we're all at a low. It is the end of the day. No one wants to do it. And there's probably for most of the folks listening with this problem, there's an easy out fine, fuck it. I will just sit with this kid until they fall asleep. Whatever happens, happens. I wish I could tell everyone, you know how for breast and chest feeding parents, you start to learn that like when you feed at a certain time, your body makes milk at that certain time every day. It's incredible. Like your bodies are so incredible. And the mind is easily is trainable. So the way I think about it and the way that could be helpful to parents when they're thinking about not being so firm on those boundaries is every single time you are floppy on your boundary is a program for your child to do that again, longer. And push it harder, yeah. It's so much worse. And so there are, like people will ask me on my Instagram Q&As all the time, have you ever had a baby that you, that is untrainable, that you can't help sleep? And I think it's happened like once, and this wasn't the case, but the really, really, really tough cases that we work with are parents who have gone back and forth, 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 because that kid has learned, if I give this long enough, and they will give it. And, and this is what we don't want. So if you don't want that protest and you don't want that pushback for hours and hours, you can't be slippery. You, even when it, like I, if you just meet me, I live in gray. I live in the idea of sometimes. I, I am not black and white. I, I'm really kind of mushy in a lot of ways, but I have learned through my job and my own kids, the moment I'm like this, they're like, ha, gotcha. <laughs> That's where I'm in. That's where I'm going. And it's about stupid things, guys. It's not about what you think it is. It's not these big things like I have to lay with my kid. With my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's so, like, slick, she was doing this thing, but, like, okay, when you leave my door open, can you— I would leave it open like this, and she'd be like, can you open it up this much more? And then, like, every night I was like, yeah, sure, whatever, I don't care. And the next day, can you open it up more? Like, okay. And then it's like at the door, mommy. And then it just, I know, and it starts with a door crack, which is so stupid for us to be pedantic about. It's like, why do I care? Why do I care? Have your door off. Let's take it off the hinges. I don't care. But it symbolizes this floppy thing that they want to experiment with. So unfortunately, for my cool, calm, like easy breezy cucumbers, your children don't benefit from that floppiness. Your children benefit, unfortunately, from a little bit of rigidity. Now, where I I just want to say this really quick. You can offer choice and voice everywhere else where it doesn't matter on your non-negotiables. Yeah, give them power where they can have power. Yeah. If sleep is important to you and you can't sit with your kid and you can't do that, fine. Then be floppy somewhere else, not around sleep. Like, that's the big one. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. 
And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double-action combination of prescription-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner, I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there, and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right, and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says, Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy, and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Little Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals, so you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding, and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. The interesting thing is that when it is a request that literally cannot be Like, I can't meet that request. You know, the sun is going down and his room is dark and I can't make it brighter. Like, we have your nightlight on. I'm sorry. The sun is going down earlier now. It's going to be darker in your room. I cannot make the sun come back up. So that boundary is like very easily... It's a non-issue after one night because I can't be floppy on that boundary. So I think parents struggle when it's something that 
doesn't necessarily like at face value seem like a big deal. Like you were saying, like the door thing. And it's something that you could easily do. It's not going to affect you. Like it's not a big deal. So you're like, okay, you know, and then all of a sudden it becomes a thing. It's like, can I have a yogurt in the bathtub today? And I'm like, I just fucking want him to get in the bathtub. So sure, like, let's go have a yogurt in the bathtub. But now it's like, I want to eat everything in the bathtub or whatever it is. Like, it just like expands. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like, and and what we're not really talking about and exposing and what all parents want to stop, and this is honestly the most freeing thing that I had to learn when my oldest was three, We have to stop feeling like we are responsible for our children's feelings and their reactions to healthy requests. I'm not saying like we're not responsible for treating our children well, loving them and treating them respectfully. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you say, hey, little Milo, eat your dinner, and he throws your dinner, and he says, I hate dinner, I don't want to eat the dinner, you're not responsible for that. Your child is three. You're responsible for being bigger, stronger, and wiser. You have to say, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Here, I'm going to pick this dinner up for you. You can eat it or not. That's up to you. Like, you have to be the person in control. I'm sorry you don't want to sleep, but sleep is healthy for you. Good night. Like, and if they have a big feeling and they have a big reaction about that, I'm really sorry that you feel that way right now. Let's talk about big reactions and the epic bedtime battles that we had that I don't even know if I talked a lot about them on Instagram. Like people knew that shit was going down, but like, I don't think I explained what exactly the behaviors were. So maybe this will make people feel better. So what started to happen was refuse bedtime. So what we do when we go into his room and we have a timer When we're in my room doing like bedtime routine, we have a timer and it's like, okay, we're going to set a timer. And he's like, okay. And then as soon as the timer goes off, it's like time to go into his room. So all of bath time, all of bedtime routine, getting on PJs, brushing teeth, everything would go super smoothly. We would bring him into his room, no problem, just like every night in his bed, read him some books. And then as soon as it was time for us to leave, it was like, no. And he would like jump off his bed and like hold on to our legs. Like the thing about being out of a crib and having a four-year-old is that like they can chase you out of the room. They can like grab onto you. They can talk and like form sentences. Like it's a totally different thing. So That's what he would start doing, like grabbing onto us. Like his demeanor just completely changed to like Chucky, you know, (laughs) like just, it was just like night and day. It was crazy. So if we would eventually leave, like, honestly, I'm just going to be dead ass, like honest. I would try and work with him, like do all the right things not working, not working, not working. If anything, it just like amplifies his behavior. He would start like hitting whatever it was. I would like physically move him out of the way and like bolt it out the door and close the door. And we have those little childproof locks on the inside on the door handle. And I know even that is like a controversial thing. Some people are not comfortable with it. That's fine. For me, I'm uncomfortable not having that on the door because like that just terrifies me to think that he can get out of his room and whatever. So we have those on the door. So once we leave and close the door, he can't get out. Now, it's been like that since day one. So he knows nothing different. He would lose his mind, like throwing toys. And what he started to do was grabbing all his toys that he has and slamming it against the door. And like the door is covered in blue and red, like Spider-Man marks. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Spider-Man. Yeah. So we were downstairs like, oh my God, he's going to break the door. So, you know, we wait a few minutes, try and go back in, but now it's like over the top. He is pissed. So you try and go in and like calmly talk to him. No, he's like charging you, like trying to punch you, bite you, anything. And so I'm doing all the right things. I'm like, okay, it's not safe for mommy to be in the room right now. Mommy has to leave again. 
close the door, rage. Now, and what I ended up doing was putting all his toys in his basket, taking the basket out because that's he's using his toys to hit the door. You can't hit the door. Then he went and started grabbing his books, slamming them against the door. So I'm like, okay, go back in, calmly take all the books, you know, take them out of the room, close the door. Then he grabs, I shit you not, his monitor and like starts slamming the camera against the door. And I'm like, oh my God, now I'm starting to get like ragey inside. Go in, collect like the sound machine, the night lights, the monitor, everything. So his room is basically like empty. Take it out of there, close the door. And now I'm like crying on the stairs. Like what is wrong with my child? My husband finally, like he comes up. I think that night he had put him to bed and I was like, let me like deal with this part. He comes up and eventually we go back in and Milo just, I think they get to a point where they just kind of like, They have nothing left and they just collapse and are like sobbing. But I was like, oh my God. And this happened like a few nights in a row and we would dread bedtime. We were just like, oh my God, like we know that this is going to happen. So I feel like we handled it like as best we could. But what is your advice for parents who are going through something like that? Like, is there anything that you would do differently? Like, talk about it during the day? Like, So I think what, when I hear that question, so I, I think that here's my philosophy on these things is as you get into toddlerhood, and I would say pretty much two plus, the reactions from your child get increased no matter what you do. I am sure, like, can you tell me honestly that, Milo has not had similar outbursts about other things in other parts of your day. Not like that. Like, and I don't know if it's because during the day we're better able to like distract him out of it and like change the activity or like the environment. Like, I don't know, but never to the point where he's like slamming stuff against the door, like being so violent and like aggressive, like that's so not him, which is also why I think it bothered me like emotionally so much too, because you're just like, my child is like, what is happening? Yeah. Well, I feel like, okay, so then we have to like think big picture here, right? So in that moment, what Milo is seeking is probably, and I'm guessing just based on what you've said, like someone sitting with him, or maybe this is a point where he's been kind of like co-sleeping a little bit here and there. And this is something that's like way better than having to do it on your own, right? It's like cozy, and I'm sure he prefers that. And so this is where we always have to go back to, if we don't like this whole thing, then we have to be really clear going forward so it doesn't, his big reaction doesn't happen again. But when we say, okay, you know what, buddy, we were doing this one thing, now we're doing the other, well, that does cause temporary stress. This is a stressful change. I won't lie. I'm not going to tell parents like, oh, he's great. He's just mad. No, he's stressed because he's like, this isn't how we've been doing it. You usually sit here. We're changing things up. I don't like this. Kids also have big reactions when they move or there's a divorce because there's stress and there's a big change and everything is new. So if we change how your child is falling asleep, we have to honor that that's a pretty big change for them. So when you've made that change, he is going to have probably really big feelings, right? He's going to do everything he can to have you replicate the experience he's waiting for. Now, it sounds to me that you handle it in a really healthy way because you have to think big picture you sitting or co-sleeping or getting up with him in the middle of the night is not sustainable for everybody in the house. It's not what everyone wants. And long-term, there are potential side effects to you doing something that you resent or hate for your with your child, right? So we have to think, what, what makes my family function? I'm going to do something for a, a short-term pain for long-term gain. So he's going to have these big reactions and feelings, which are normal, and you are going to respond in a loving, kind, firm way, which you did, right? I'm sorry, if I leave these books in here, that's not safe. I have to take them out. I'm sorry we're using your toys in an unsafe way. I'm going to take it. I'm just going to shut the door. You're literally protecting him 
from himself at this point and holding a physical boundary. So we can talk specifically my thoughts on door locks. I don't have any problems with door locks as long as, you know, if your child is potty trained and needs to leave the room, then you have to negotiate the door being open and shut. But a lot of children sleep in essentially cages for many years of their life. And we're like, a cage is fine. A door lock, you're a monster. You are a monster. It's like your baby is just in a cage where they sometimes do this. And we're all okay with that. You put a door lock on, it's like, oh my God. So I personally don't have a door lock. There are really great alternatives to door locks. There's a little contraption called the door monkey that a lot of families use that allows the door to stay open a jar a little bit, but doesn't allow the child to come out. The other thing is that I, I feel like I have so many thoughts, so I hope I'm answering this question. When we give children actual physical boundaries and constraints, in, in many ways, that is a safety thing, right? Just because we want our children to be able to enjoy the world like we do, it doesn't mean that they're ready. So I used to teach gifted and talented children. I used to teach grade eight in Australia. So these kids were like 12. And these kids would talk to you about very complex emotional issues. And a lot of the training in gifted and talented education is that don't let those kids trick you into thinking they're more emotionally mature than they are because they're in a certain way. So I find this a lot of times with the oldest child in the family. Milo is the oldest, but for other people who have other children, they look at the oldest and they're like, you should be doing this. You should be in a bed. You should be. But these are huge responsibilities for children. And sometimes how they act out is just like, I don't know what to do. Put a boundary. Help me. Help me. Help me. And so if you're like, well, I don't know. Why don't you explore and tell me? They're like, I'm three. Put a boundary up. Like some kids are just kind of like... So many times in what we do, like if we have a three-year-old and they're two or three-year-old and they're still in the crib and we kind of like put them in the crib or we recreate the room to a crib. So we either put a door monkey or a latch outside. The child will go up to the door. They'll be like, ah! They'll be like, oh, and then they go to bed. Like, they're just like, thank you. Thank you for taking that responsibility away from me. So when your child is like this, like violent or whatever you're saying or upsetting to you, what they need for you is, because they need to know that those big emotions are safe with you, that you're going to be okay. And it sounds to me that you handle all of that while keeping yourself sane and him physically safe. Like kids do that. And I don't think that this is, I don't think Milo is abnormal or, you know, in any way. I think that, we made a really big change for him and he responded with stress and then we responded with care, support and like a loving firm boundary. I have to remember like right now he's an angel going to bed, like creepily so. And I have to prepare for the moment where he starts to be like, oh, like, no, I want them. Like, even last night, he didn't want my husband to leave the room and I could hear him from downstairs. And I was like, oh my God, it's starting again. <laughs> and so we, with regard to the potty training thing, he asked for his little potty to be in his room. So we keep it in his room. We're like, whatever, he's not going to be 18 peeing in his room in his little potty so for now it's fine <laughs> yeah exactly so when he gets up at like five in the morning but he doesn't want to actually get up he'll go pee in his little potty and get back into bed great so works he has like a little ensuite right yeah so <laughs> what he did last night and this is what he does every once in a while I swear to god my husband left his room he was like this is another tip for people always prepare your child for what is about to happen. So when we go in his bedroom to start reading him his books, it's like, okay, give him power. Which two books do you want mommy to read? So now he's, you know, picking the books. Okay. Before I start to read the first book, I'm like, mommy's going to read these two books. And then mommy has to go lay down. Mommy has to go to bed. And he's like, okay, halfway through the first book, Remember, when mommy's done these two books, I'm going to leave. And I, you know, throughout the process of the routine, I keep reminding him what is about to happen. 
And so last night, my husband did that, put some to bed, and then my husband had to leave to go to the hospital, as he always does. And so as Because he's, he's a doctor, <laughs> not because he's dying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's clear that up. So as the front door closes, my husband's leaving, I hear Milo go, Daddy! And I'm like, oh my God, of course. I go in, and what he does sometimes, I think, when he wants us to come back, is he'll go like squirt out a little bit of pee in his body <laughs> to get to get us to come back in. So I'm like, I try and make it a non-issue and I'm like, okay, like daddy had to go to work, but mommy will clean the potty for you. And then if he asks for like one more story, I just kind of do it again. I'm like, okay, one more book, but then mommy has to leave. And like, it seems to work, but I have to prepare myself like for when he starts to try and push that again to remain, like don't give in a little bit just because he's been good. And like- then it ends up being a shit show. And I would even say, and now I'm going to give you unsolicited advice, and now you might hate me. I would even say that the one extra book is a boundary push. That's that's my daughter opening the book. And what you're doing is you're trying to avoid the big reaction. Yes! The big reaction happens that moment, or it happens in five days, when now (laughs) you're laying on his bed, his door's wide open, (laughs) that you're wearing a blanket because he's asked you to. Like We keep doing these things to avoid our children children's emotions, but you can't. They're there. They're, it, whether you like it or not, it, it's just going to continue to happen and you can't control it. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. So one thing that I find with us is that because we switch off so often, my husband's at the hospital some nights. So sometimes I'm doing the, like bringing him into his room. Sometimes when we're both home, he wants one of us to do it. And so it's constantly switching. It's not, you know, the same person every night. And so it's very important to do the same thing because what would happen is for a while he was on like a daddy kick And it was daddy, daddy, daddy every single night. And so my husband would start to like tweak things and I'd be downstairs listening to him on the monitor. I'm like, why the fuck are you still in the room? Like you've been in there for 15 minutes, you know? And then it just slowly like turns into a shit show. So it's important for people listening to make sure you're on the same page and doing the exact same thing as your partner if you like trade off bedtime. And not avoiding, like I hear a lot of families will be like, well, actually, my child only goes to bed with their dad or will only go to bed with the mom. And I have to be like, well, we're— It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable, but it's also like, okay— any time a child has full control over a parenting decision, never it doesn't make the child feel secure. It actually creates insecurity, and it creates a level of anxiety and stress with the child that they're unclear about who's running the show. So a great example I try to give my clients is if you can think of a time as a child or even a teen where you pressed your parents for something over and over and over and over, and they finally gave in, it never, you never felt good. I always felt like, oh, okay, well, you said yes, (laughs) Shit. So imagine, I I don't think young children have the wherewithal to be like, oh, I feel insecure. But there's a feeling in their body that feels kind of like unclear. Like, oh, I thought you guys were in charge. And so 
I know that you're a psychologist, so I'm very like careful of what I say to you, but there's this whole attachment, and you're into attachment as well. There's this whole attachment, I don't know what the right way, like framework that I'm learning in my social work like brain, and it's called the circle of security. Are you aware mm-hmm. of this? Okay. Yeah. Do you like it? I dealt with adult attachment. Okay. So I just, I'm trying to like read your reaction and I was like, oh, that was like, but I, I personally, I love it because it's this concept of, I think that we've gotten the, the modern day or layman understanding of attachment is I want to be really close with my kid. Everybody focuses on like the proximity. Physically close. I want to be emotionally close. I want to be my child's best friend. Actually, if you're your child's best friend, there's probably some insecure attachment happening because you actually, in order to have a strong, secure attachment, your child needs to know that they can count on you to be a leader and a parent, which is a very different thing than an attachment to a best friend. And if you are like this, that doesn't feel good to a kid. So the circle of security, and there's a lot of great literature on this online if people really want to go do some investigating on this, is this concept of being bigger, stronger, wiser. And I love that. It's And providing choice and voice when possible. Indulge your children where it makes sense. But in spots where it's safe and healthy for them, we have to do things that are tough. Like parenting is not easy. And your kids, and I taught middle school and high school kids for a really long time. And the kids who struggle the most are the kids who have never had a tough feeling in their body who are like, ah, oh, what's this? Where's my parent? Where's my parent? And that's like, we want them to be able to experience tough feelings and know that they can come out, that they can have those big emotions, that they can have those things. And that not that you will make it go away, but that they can count on you to be there for them and, and be the bigger, stronger, wiser person. It's a very different thing. And so I think like we've just lost our way a little bit with this concept of like attachment and like good or bad parenting where I I feel like we've swung so in a different direction that anything less than complete indulging our child is considered abuse. Yeah. Oh my God. Or like neglect. Yeah. And I know that you've experienced this. I sleep trained and people are like, you are the worst. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like, oh, have fun paying for therapy later on. It's like, listen, okay, I know lots of psychologists and I will get a discount. So (laughs) (laughs) don't worry. I've got a fun ready. By the way, like most psychologists are in deep therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Deep therapy. Like, everyone needs to go to therapy because oh, everyone yeah. is fucking up. This idea, I actually saw this TikTok. I wish I, I think I shared it. It made me cry. I don't know if I was having a bad parenting day. But this woman was on there talking about, we need to stop. Like, oh, yeah, I know what it was. She stitched this woman talking about, tell me you're an 80s child without telling me you're an 80s child. Like, did your parents ever say, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed? And this woman was like, oh, it's the worst thing that you could ever say to a child. And then this woman stitched her and said, well, actually, maybe it's not. And I think that what we're learning is that trauma, traumatic experience, things that can wound people will be so different for every child based on who that child is as an individual. So you could have said, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed, and that lands one way for this child. You say that to your next child, and they are severely wounded by that. And this idea that we can open up a parenting book and be like, bam, I'm in attachment parenting, parent, now my child will never feel pain, or no, 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 we are all fucking up, even while we're doing our best, even with all of the parenting books behind us, even like everyone, I've screamed at my kids, I've done things that I'm not 
proud of. But what I'm hoping I'm doing differently is in those moments, repairing them, admitting them, going to my kids and being like, I'm not proud of how I acted. I'm really sorry. How can I make this better? Let's have a discussion. Let's not put some shame on this. Let's not put some blame on you. Let's like, I feel like that's what we can do. And and that's about all we can do. Like we have to stop putting ourselves on such a high, high expectation as parents. Like it's just not possible. 100% agree. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. I love that. There are other things that we wanted to get to, but we are running out of time. One thing I wanted to ask, and maybe this is not like a one-size-fits-all answer, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how much sleep, because again, when kids are babies, sleep is just so, like, there's so much information. It's like, this is how long they nap. This is how long they sleep, blah, blah, blah. Okay, Milo's four now. When kids start kindergarten, they don't have naps anymore. So how much should kids be sleeping? I'm always curious, like, when do other kids Milo's age go to bed? Like, sometimes I see kids playing in the neighborhood after Milo's, like, already been in bed for an hour, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, should Milo be outside <laughs> playing? Like, get up, get up, go outside. Get outside, like, yeah. So how much sleep do kids in, let's say, kindergarten because this is my podcast and I can just ask questions for my own. Do it. <laughs> Come to my house. Here's my address. What yeah. do you think about? Yeah. No. Yeah. So how much sleep should they be getting? So the AAP actually set out some really interesting research. I want to say August, July, around there this summer, just ahead of school, thankfully, saying that most kindergartners should go to school with at least 10 hours of sleep. Now, you have to remember that there's evidence with sleep, but sleep is also very personal and biologically related. You're going to have kids who are lower sleep needs. You're going to have kids that are higher sleep needs. Generally, between this age, I'd like to say at least 10 to 12 hours of sleep. I don't want anyone to panic if their kid is getting 9.5 and you're doing everything that you can. If they, Here's a better answer. If your child is functioning well, If they're eating, drinking, peeing, pooping, awake, alert, playful, they're fine, right? This is where it comes to. Now, if your kindergarten teacher is calling you and saying, look, we have some concerns with some concentration or there's been some outbursts, we see some hitting, we see some, you know, possible ADHD gets thrown around like candy these days, but, you know, just like more hyperactivity things okay, now we want to evaluate sleep as a possible concern there. But I really do think sleep needs are individual. It's about how you feel and how he is feeling and acting in his health rather than a number. I hope that is helpful. Just for people listening, because I know how I am when I listen to podcasts, I'm like, tell me, tell me, when does your kid go to sleep? When does your kid go to sleep? So Milo, we bring him to his room around 8 p.m. And then we do like a couple books and we're usually out of there by like 8.10, let's say. He probably, every night is different. This past week, he's been falling asleep almost right away on his own. Sometimes he'll play for a while, like look at his little Marvel poster so yeah, he usually, I would say for the most part, he falls asleep before 9 p.m. And then he gets up 7-ish. So like, it's, yeah, it's good. Can I also just say something? It just reminded me before we go away. You talking about Milo in his room, you put him to bed. I think the really important distinction with toddlers, two plus, who are in their own room is that we give up control of how they fall asleep, where they fall asleep, and when they fall asleep. So if you are putting your kid to bed, some parents get really like fixated while they're walking around their room. Well, let them walk around the room. There's nothing else in there. Walk around the room, talk to their stuffies, do a few cartwheels. Winnie, my daughter would put like a blanket on her head, like walk around like this, (laughs) who's very strained, and then she would fall asleep. They need some wind down time. Literally, like my husband and I watch him in the monitor. Like sometimes he goes and turns off the monitor. Like, he'll, like, (laughs) unplug it. He's, like, right in the monitor. (laughs) He has his, like, Spider-Man watch, and he brings it closer to the nightlight so he can see it. And he's, like, playing with his little watch. Like, he does all kinds of things, and we're like, well, whatever. Like, yeah, do what you got to (laughs) do. Yep, that's a great area to give that control back, right? I'm just putting you to bed. What you do after is your decision. 
Yeah, totally. Okay, this was such a great conversation. We have more things. Like, we could talk forever, so there will be a fourth appearance, let's say, and we'll do it in person. Yeah, so thanks so much. Where can people find you? Tell us about your podcast, all the things. Yes, I have a podcast as well. We're coming back. I don't know when this will be published, but we're going to— Oh, amazing. Next Tuesday. Okay, so we should have one new episode out by then. Maybe not. We're waiting on something. But yeah, we're back. It's called the Slumber Party Podcast, and we talk about all this stuff. And my podcast is about 24 to 30 minutes, the total time of a crap nap. So if your baby's sleeping like shit, you should be able to get in one episode. (laughs) And then you can find me at babiesbestsleep.com. My blog is there. I have a YouTube channel where I put up videos of me doing my podcast and then also I'm on Instagram and TikTok at baby's best sleep well thanks so much and I'll link out your stuff in the episode notes and yeah this was uh, such a treat it was anytime next time you're going through this just call me oh yeah totally I'm like like I'm on speed dial I had a sinus infection and I'm like great I had to cancel well we were supposed to do it in person remember and I was like great like now I don't have an episode to put out like does anybody want to talk to me <laughs> <laughs> I always do it <laughs> oh good time Anyways, well, thanks so much. Thank you. Wow.